Well, good evening. Merry Christmas to all of you. Good to have you here. My name is Gilbert Thurston. I'm the lead pastor here at Exponential. We want to welcome you as we celebrate here on Christmas Eve. And we're actually wrapping up a series that we've been doing throughout the month of December here called Christmas at the Movies. What we've been doing is we've been looking at the three top highest grossing Christmas films of all time and seeing what are the life and the biblical lessons that we can learn from those movies. Now, we didn't do them in order. We actually started a couple weeks ago with the number three movie, which was Elf starring Will Ferrell. How many have seen that one? Yeah. And then last week we did the number one highest grossing Christmas film of all time, How the Grinch Stole Christmas starring Jim Carrey. And tonight we're wrapping up the series with the Polar Express starring Tom Hanks. How many of you have seen the Polar Express? You've seen that one? All right. A lot of you have uh, seen that. In case you haven't, what I want to do is I want to show you a clip from the very beginning of the movie. It really sets up everything that's going to happen tonight. Watch this. On Christmas Eve, many years ago, I lay quietly in my bed and did not rustle the sheets. I breathed slowly and silently. I was listening for a sound I was afraid I'd never hear. The ringing bells of Santa's sleigh. in the speed of light to get to everyone's house in one night. So? And to hold everyone's presents, his sled would have to be bigger than an ocean liner. Well, your brother said that? Well, he was just kidding you. He knows there's a Santa. He said he wasn't sure. He wasn't sure Santa was for real. Of course Santa's for real. He's as real as Christmas itself. But he won't come until you're sound asleep, young lady. <laughs> Sweet dreams. Santa will be here before you know it. So go to sleep.
devoid of life. So the whole movie is really about this little boy's skepticism in Santa. But if you've watched the entire movie, you've probably noticed that there's a lot of biblical parallels that are in it. And it's sort of strange that this, this Christmas movie was about the, the birth of Jesus and about our, our relationship with him. Now, they've never come right out and said that it's a Christmas film or a, a Christian film, but the director, Robert Zemeckis, he was asked one time, they said, is the Polar Express a Christian film or not? And he winked at the reporter and he said this. He said, nothing in a movie this big ends up in the script by accident. And so the central belief of this movie is about belief. It's about belief, but really not about how you believe, but in what are the obstacles to believing. And I understand, you know, there's probably some of you here tonight that you have a whole problem with this Christmas thing and the Bible and, and Christianity. You're like, the only reason I'm here is because, you know, a neighbor of mine or a family member of mine told me there'd be free cookies, you know, and then maybe something cool that the band would do. That's the only reason I'm here. I don't believe in all this Jesus thing and, you know, a little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. I don't believe in all that. And you know what? That's okay to be skeptical. It really is. I myself, I didn't become a follower of Jesus until my early 20s. In other words, I didn't become a Christian until I was in my early 20s. So I remember what it was like to be skeptical. I remember as a, a kid doubting in the existence of God. Does God even exist? I remember thinking, if God does exist, would he care about somebody like me? And then one of the big things that happened was when I was eight years old, my best friend was killed when his dad was chopping down a tree for firewood and it fell the wrong way and it crushed him. And of course, the question I had is, if there is such a thing as God, why would he allow my best friend to die like this? And so it's okay to have questions. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have different objections to what we're experiencing here tonight. But here's the deal. Whether you have doubts and you are skeptical or you're somebody that you became a, a believer a month ago or five years ago or 50 years ago, we cannot doubt the fact that our society as a whole has really devalued Christmas. Christmas just isn't the same anymore. We don't believe in Christmas. You're going, Gilbert, what do you mean we, we don't believe in, in Christmas? Well, sure, we still believe in things like Christmas Day, Christmas cards, Christmas gifts, Christmas parties, Christmas lights, Christmas eggnog, but do we still believe in Christmas? Do we still believe in the Christ who this day and, and tomorrow it's, it's really all about? Do we still believe the, the words that we read in Luke chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, when it says this, while Mary and Joseph were in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in strips of cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no guest rooms available for them in the inn. Now, George Barna, who does all kinds of research into Christianity and, and various things of faith and spirituality, he, he polled Americans and he found that 92% of Americans still believe that Jesus was a real historical figure. In other words, in the same way that we believe that George Washington lived, the same way we believe that Napoleon lived, people, yeah, I believe that Jesus really lived. But that's not really what we're talking about tonight. What we're talking about is, do we still believe that Jesus was God in the flesh? That Jesus grew up to, to become a man who would one day die 
for our sins? Do we still believe John 3.16, probably the most famous verse that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Barna's research found that only 48% of Americans still believe that. And that number reduces down to 42% of the millennial generation. So our society is becoming increasingly skeptical of Christmas, increasingly skeptical of people of faith and having a faith experience. Now, for those of you that maybe aren't familiar with the movie, after the opening scene that we just saw there, this big train shows up in the front yard of the little boy. And so he goes outside to explore it. And there's a conductor that comes out. And the boy's like, what's going on here? And the conductor says, this train's going to the North Pole. Get on board. And the little boy has a decision to make. Is he going to get on the train or not? Now, ultimately, he does. And while he's there on the train, he encounters some other kids that are all skeptical about Santa, skeptical about the Christmas story, all the trappings of Christmas. But it's as they're there on the train, they start to meet these various people that, that help them along the way. One such person is a, a hobo. And uh, this particular uh, hobo, uh, actually, let, let's get to him in a second, because I, I, I skipped something I want to get back to real quick. In 2014, going back to the being skeptical about Christmas, 2014, the American Atheist Association put this billboard up. Look at this. It says, Dear Santa, all I want for Christmas is to skip church. I'm too old for fairy tales. And so they, they put this out saying, go ahead, just, just skip church. You don't have to believe any longer. And again, on the train, this little boy, he is doubting his beliefs. And as he starts to confront these uh, various characters, they start to, to help him grow in his belief. Now, I just mentioned that there's this, this hobo. And as it turns out, later on, we find out it's a ghost. It isn't actually a real person. And this gets back to some of the biblical parallels I was talking about in the movie. Because there's three people in the movie that help the little boy grow his belief and, and come to a place of faith. One is the conductor, one is the hobo, and then the other is Santa Claus. All three of these characters are played by the same person, Tom Hanks. In other words, Tom Hanks is one person but yet he's doing three different roles helping people to come to faith. Sort of sounds like something in Christianity, doesn't it? We call it the Trinity. That God is one, but yet he's three in one. He's Father, he's Son, he's the, the Holy Spirit. In any case, this, uh, this hobo, he's having a conversation with the boy on the top of the train. And he says, the hobo says, I'm the king of the North Pole! The little boy goes, wait a second, I thought Santa was the king of the North Pole. Which then leads to this, watch. What exactly is, is your persuasion on the big man since you brought him up? Well, I, I want to believe. But... But! You don't want to be bamboozled. You don't want to be let down to Primrose Bath. You don't want to be caught or duped. Have the wall pulled over your eyes. Hoodwinked. You don't want to be taken for a ride. Railroaded! Seeing is believing. Am I right? I love that. 
Seeing is believing, right? In other words, he's saying, if, if you can't see it, then how could you possibly ever believe in it? And again, that, that's what this, this movie is, is all about. It's about believing. And do you need to see in order to believe? And what I want to do here tonight is I want to take a look at some of the objections that maybe you have to, to coming to faith. In fact, here, here's the, the first one, if you're taking notes here this evening. Many of you, you say, you know what, I'm afraid that having faith in God will make me look foolish. The hobo's right, he's like, you don't want to be duped. You don't want to be conned. You don't want to be bamboozled. And that's how many of you feel. That, I don't know if I can believe in all this Christianity stuff. You know, a baby born to a virgin and, you know, all the other stuff, you know, Noah's Ark. I don't know if I can believe all that. I mean, I'll look foolish. People think I'm stupid if I believe fairy tales like that. So you're afraid that you're going to look foolish. But I want you to look at how Scripture defines the word faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Faith makes us sure of what we hope for and gives us proof of what we cannot see. In other words, what is faith? Faith is having confidence in the things which you can't see. Now, there's another clip in the movie where the conductor actually is talking about this whole is seeing, believing type of thing. Take a look at this, and then we'll explore it a little bit further. Walking up here, it's mighty slick, mighty slick, I tell you. Oh, what? There you go. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? Years ago, on my first Christmas Eve run, I was up on the roof making my rounds, but I slipped on the ice myself. I reached out for a hand iron, but it broke off. I slid and fell, and yet I did not fall off this train. Someone saved you? Or something. An angel. Maybe. Wait, wait. Well, what did he look like? Did you see him? No, sir. But sometimes seeing is believing. And sometimes the most real things in the world are the things we can't see. Sometimes the most real things in the world are the things which we can't see. You're going, no, 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 if, if, if I'm going to become a Christian, if I'm going to truly believe in all this Christmas stuff, everything that's in the Bible, I, I need to see it. I, I need to have proof. Again, I, I don't want to be conned. I don't want people to think that I'm foolish for believing all this. I need proof that there's a God. I need to see him. So Here's my question to you. Are you putting a requirement on God that you don't demand in other areas of your life? You're going, Gilbert, what, what do you mean by that? Well, here's what I want you to do. If you've got a cell phone with you tonight, pull it out. Go ahead and pull your cell phones out real quick. I'll give you a second. Go ahead and pull it out. Pull your cell phone out and look at it. Got it? Isn't it true that you could, in the next couple seconds, take your cell phone, push a couple buttons, and you could be talking to somebody? Or you could text somebody? Or you could be surfing the internet, right? Doesn't take you long. You just push a couple buttons and it does that. Now, here's the question. Have you ever seen a cell signal? 
Have you ever seen Wi-Fi? No. You've never seen those things. But yet you know they exist. How do you know they exist? Because you see the effects of what happens. And here's the thing. I doubt there's many of you here tonight that you could like explain every single part of how a cell signal works or how Wi-Fi works. You just know that it works, and that's all you really care about is that it works. And see, what we need to understand is it's the same way with God. You don't need to see God in order to know that he exists. You just need to feel the effects, know that he is doing things and, and working in your life, that there's an impact being made, and that is enough for us to be able to say, yes, indeed, there is a God. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, remember we talked about that faith is being confident in the things that you can't see. It, it says this then, without faith, no one can please God. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he is real and that he rewards those who truly want to find him. Martin Luther King put it this way, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. Now, don't get me wrong. Again, you're still going to have some doubts. There's still questions that you have. Again, things like, you know, did Moses really part the Red Sea? How did Noah get all the animals onto the ark? Did God really create the world in seven days? Why, if there's a good and loving God, would he allow suffering and pain in this earth? Well, here's the thing. I don't have time tonight to get into all that, but here's what I know. Even if I answered every single question you have about the Bible, there's still some of you that you still wouldn't believe. And here's what I mean by that. I have never yet met a person that said, here's my list of 32 objections to Christianity. And they just one by one, just systematically answer every single question and they get done all 32 and they go, okay, now I believe. It doesn't work that way. It isn't about taking a checklist and, and getting rid of all your objections. You know what has to happen? Your objections have to become smaller. Again, we do this in other areas of life. Let me give you a prime example of this. This has nothing to do with the Bible, nothing to do with Christianity. This is just a real world fact. And ladies, don't get mad at us men for this. But all guys, before we get married, have a lot of objections to getting married. Let me give you a couple. First one is this. Guys will go, what about my freedom? What about my freedom? I mean, I've heard that marriage is like the old ball and chain, and I don't want to give up my freedom. Or guys will say this, I'm too young. I mean, I don't have a biological clock, so what's the rush? You know, give me another 10 years or so, then we can get married. Guys will say, well, you know, money. I mean, I can hardly afford to live on my own. How could I have somebody else, you know, and stuff? So just give me a couple years, and by a couple years, we usually mean like 10 or 20. Just give me a couple years, then I'll have saved up enough money, then we can get married. Here's another objection, the example of other couples. You know, we've seen somebody else, you know, it may have been our parents or a family member or a friend or a neighbor or a coworker, whatever, that their marriage was just horrible. We're like, I don't want that for myself. I'm not getting married. And then some people are like, well, what if I marry the wrong person? You know, what if I get married and at the reception, I see the caterer lady going by and I'm going, oh, that's who I should have married. <laughs> now, guys, let me ask you a question. Did you have every single one of your objections met before you got married? No. 
It wasn't that you went through a checklist, it's that your objections became smaller. And you know why you eventually got married? No, 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 that, that's not it. You got, this is the reason you got married. That's why you got married, all right? Don't send me any nasty emails or anything. <laughs> yeah, but my kids are in here. Your kids should be back in the children's ministry. That's why we have it, right? No, you got married for love. What eventually happened, guys, is you said, you know what? My love for this woman and her love back to me, it's greater than all my objections. So in other words, your objections got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller in comparison to everything else. Ladies, maybe it was this way for you, like having kids. You know, there was a part of you like, I really like to have kids, but then there was a part of you going, I don't know if we can afford kids. I, I, do they come with like an instruction manual or what? You know, how, how do we do this whole thing? So you had all these objections, but eventually you said, you know what? The love that I could have for a child and that child's love back for me, that's going to be greater than any objections that I may have. And see, again, it's the exact same way with faith in God. You're always going to have questions. You're always going to have some doubts. I mean, for crying out loud, I've been a pastor for the past 17 years. I've been a Christian now for 23 years. There's still things about this book that I don't understand. There's still things that I, I question and say, what? Why, God? Why? But yet I have faith. I believe. How can I have belief even if I have questions? It's because Jesus' love for me and my love back to him, it's the greatest thing I've ever experienced. It's the greatest thing. On July 27, 1993, when I became a follower of Jesus, he changed my life. Life has never been the same. And as much as I love my wife, I love him even more. He loves me even more than she could ever love me. And so, yeah, there's things about the Bible and, and stuff that people are like, <laughs> you believe that stuff? You fool. But all I got to say is, you know what? Just like the cell phone, I don't need to see him. I've experienced him. I've felt the effects of what he's done in my life. That's the greatest thing that ever happened. Number two, then, if you're taking notes. People sometimes object, and this is an enemy of, of having faith. They say, you know, I, we, I have my fear that faith will leave me in pain and disappointed. There's another little boy in the, uh, on the train that his name is uh, Billy. And he too has questions about Santa and the whole Christmas season. But his has nothing to do with, you know, looking like a fool. His has to do with something else. Watch this clip. Look, you have to come with us. She, she's right. Christmas just doesn't work out for me. Never has. But Christmas is such a wonderful, beautiful time. It's a time for giving and being thankful for friends and family. People hang decorations and lights. And then Santa comes and leaves presents under our Christmas trees. Christmas just doesn't work out for me. Look. I don't know if Christmas is going to work out for you or not, but this is Christmas Eve. Don't stay here by yourself. Yes, come with us. We'll go together. 
Over and over throughout the movie, this little boy keeps saying that phrase, Christmas just doesn't work out for me. And maybe you're here tonight and you're going, you know what? It's not just that Christmas isn't working out for me. Life hasn't worked out for me. Things have happened. You lost a job. You got a bad doctor's report. I, I got a call this morning from my mom, my uh, dad's uncle, my great uncle. Uh, he's not expected to live through the rest of the day here today. You know, things happen. Bad things. And some of you, you, you feel like it just keeps piling on over and over and over and over. Like the little Billy in the movie, you're like, life just isn't working out for me. But the other main character there, the, the little boy, he's like, look, I, I don't know if Christmas is going to work out for you or not. But you need to come with us. And the little girl said, yeah, yeah, come, we'll, we'll go together. And I want to say the same thing to you here this evening. Whatever it is that you're going through, don't go through it alone. And I know some of you are here in a church tonight, and it's the first time you've been in a church for a long time. Maybe in the past you were hurt by a Christian or you were hurt by a church, and you've sort of stayed away. And here's what I want to say to you. I, I apologize for whoever hurt you like that. This is not the perfect church here at Exponential. There is no such thing as a perfect church, and, and we're not. It starts with me. But here's what we try to do. We try to rally around people that you have pain in your life, you have disappointment in your life, you're hurt in some way. We don't care who you are. We don't care what you've done in your past. We want to be there. So don't go through the journey by yourself. Like they said there, come along with us. We, we want to be there to help you and, and support you. The, the Bible would call this community. It would call it the, the church. And see, here at Exponential, we truly believe Jesus' words, which are found in Matthew 18, 20, when Jesus said, if two or three people come together in my name, I am there with them. And see, really, Christmas is the story about how God came to be with us. And God wants to have a personal relationship with you, and that's very, very important. But I did a series here not too long ago that I said to our congregation, I said, look, not only does God want you to have a personal relationship with him, he wants you to have a shared relationship with him as well. In other words, we need each other. We need a community of people that are there for us, that when we're down, there's others that are up that can lift us up. And then we can do the same thing for other people. And so whether it's this church or, you know, any church, I'm just encouraging you this Christmas season and as we go into a new year, just get into a church. Don't go through your pain. Don't go through your disappointment by yourself. Rally around a community of people. Now, I shared with you earlier, the American uh, Atheists uh, put out the billboard in 2014 that, you know, we don't believe in fairy tales, don't come to church, that type of thing. Look at last year's. It said this, go ahead and skip church, just be good for goodness sake. Happy holidays. And then this year is a sort of topical. It says, uh, make Christmas great again, skip church. Did you notice in all three of them, the emphasis wasn't in don't believe? What was the emphasis in all three of the billboards? Skip church. See, I think even atheists at heart understand that there is power when we come together. In fact, I put it on your outline this way if, if you're uh, taking notes. It's in the presence of God's people that I will experience God's peace. It's in the presence of God's people that I'll experience God's peace. 
We are truly better together. So again, don't go through your pain. Don't go through your disappointment alone. So my prayer is that whether it's this church or any other church, you would find a church and become a part of it and allow others to help you take spiritual next steps. So that's that sort of shared relationship. Let's talk about the personal relationship. In the, the movie, the, the main characters, they all eventually come to a place of belief. And as I got to thinking about it, you know the most important decision that each one of them made? It wasn't that they got to see Santa Claus. It was that they decided to get on the train initially. That initial decision to have even just a, a little bit of, of faith to just trust the conductor that I'm going to get on board. I don't understand, you know, is this going to North Pole? Will we see Santa? I don't understand all that. I'm just going to get on the train and see what happens. And sort of metaphorically speaking, I want to encourage you here tonight, some of you need to get on the Christian train. You need, to, you need to jump on board. Yeah, you don't understand all the Bible. You still have some questions, but in faith, you need to get on board. Why? Because that's the only train that will ultimately give you eternal life. Again, I, I'm speaking metaphorically when I'm talking about trains and stuff. But here's the deal. Without a personal relationship with Jesus, none of us can go to heaven. None of us. And the reason for that is very simple. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I don't think there's anybody here tonight that you would say, yeah, I've been perfect my whole life. Anybody want to make that claim? If you do, come out and finish the message for me. Because <laughs> I haven't been perfect. I've messed up a lot. And so the, the thing is, what do we do about our sin? Because the Bible makes it very, very clear that because of our sin, we deserve eternal punishment in a very real place called hell. The Bible also makes it clear that there's nothing you could ever do to save yourself. There, there's no amount of good deeds or righteous acts that you could ever do to sort of pay off that sin debt that you owe. You go, well, this is depressing. I thought we were coming out to, you know, hey, uh, joy to the world. Well, the rest of that song is joy to the world, the what? The Lord has come. Jesus wasn't just a normal baby. Jesus was God in the flesh. God so loved the world that he himself came to this earth, took on human flesh and blood. That's the story of Christmas. But there is no Christmas if we don't have Easter. See, the story of Easter is that Jesus grew up. He lived a perfect and sinless life. And then he died on a cross. He shed his blood so that your sins might be forgiven. So that you don't have to go to hell so that you can have a brand new life right here and right now. That's the good news of Christianity. He died, so you don't have to. Now, yes, physically, you'll still die. My great uncle, he's more than likely before the end of this day. Physically, his body is going to die. But spiritually, because he became a follower of Jesus, because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in him, at the very moment, he shuts his eyes for the very last time, takes that last breath here on this earth, will immediately be ushered into the presence and the glory of God. And you can have that same assurance in your life. None of us should have to fear death. Death is, is just a transition. It's just a doorway into eternity. And here's the thing. Even if you live to be 100 or 120, in fact, my great-uncle, I I think he's 98, so he, he's lived a, a, a really long life. That's a long life. 
But even if you live to be that long, when you think about eternity, that's a long time. And you are going to spend eternity somewhere, either eternally present with God forever in heaven or eternally separated from Him in a very real place called hell. And you have a choice. Are you going to get on the train? Are you going to say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins? Come into my life. Be the leader of my life. I, I'm tired of doing things my way. I'm turning from my sins. The, the biblical word is repentance. It means that you were going this way. You were going the devil's way. You were going your own way. And you say, Jesus, not only forgive me, it's not that I'm just sorry that I got caught, but I truly want to change. And so I'm going to do a, a 180 and I'm going to start going God's way. I'm going to leave the old me behind. I'm going to live for you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. You can have that tonight. You can have it if you get on the train. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for what this day signifies, that we are celebrating the birth of you. The birth of you onto this planet. But again, we thank you that you didn't just remain a, a little baby but you grew up and you lived that sinless and perfect life and then you died on the cross that our sins might be forgiven. With every head bowed, every eye closed here tonight. If you haven't yet asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to come in, to be the leader of your life, if you've never said, you know what, metaphorically speaking, I want to get on the train. I, I, I want to have faith. If that's true of you, would you raise your hand up nice and high so I can see it? And you can put it back down, then I'll... Uh, uh, yes, sir, over here to my right. Yes, ma'am, down here. Thank you. Anybody else? Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my, yep, down here, ma'am. Thank you. Anybody else? Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be the leader of my life. Tired of doing life my way. I want to do it your way. Anyone else? If your heart's beating really, really fast right now, I'm probably talking to you. And it's not me talking to you. It's actually the Spirit of God talking to you. None of us know the day or the hour that death is coming for us. Anybody else tonight? Jesus, forgive me my sins. Yep, down here, man. Thank you. Anybody else? All right. With every head bowed, every eye still closed, I'm going to ask everybody to just repeat this prayer with me out loud. Dear Jesus, we thank you for this season, the birth of you onto this earth. Thank you that you grew up and lived a perfect and sinless life so that my sins might be forgiven. I haven't been perfect. I've messed up a lot. And so I need your forgiveness. And I need your spirit to help me from this day forward. I turn from my sins and give my whole life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for those that made a decision here this evening. And Lord, uh, in the same way that you changed my life on July 27, 1993, I pray that they would always remember Christmas Eve 2016 as the night that you invaded their life. You came in, and even though they can't see you, they felt you and they experienced you and that they're going to feel and experience your power and your presence from this day forward. But Lord, help them not to walk this journey alone. 
Help them again, whether it's this church or any gospel teaching and believing church in this area, help them to get plugged in and have other people rally around them where we truly can be better together. Jesus, I do thank you for the the people of Exponential and and how they encourage me and how I'm able to encourage them. We we want other people to experience that. And so, Lord, I, I just pray that, again, we would not just hear a message tonight and say, okay, I did that, and that's my get out of hell free card. But we would truly, truly, truly give our lives over to you. And a part of that is getting plugged in, serving, and helping out in a, a local church, being ministered to as we minister to others. Jesus, thank you again for what we're celebrating here tonight. Thank you for those that made a decision for you to get on the train. And I pray all this in your precious name. Amen. Hey, can we give those that made a decision to follow Jesus here tonight a big hand?